Welcome to Rob and Tony's Cinematic Adventure. I'm Rob Wilson. And I'm Tony the Quanile. Today's movie, we are doing uh, The Big Lebowski, Ooh. a favorite of ours. So, uh, absolutely. I've seen this movie a ton of times, probably not nearly as many times as you've seen it. No, I, I see this anytime, or just about anytime when I really just need a pick me up. It changes my mood. It is, it is good for that. It is a great pick me up movie. And I, I would say that it's, it's probably my favorite Coen Brothers movie. There are some others that are great, but I think Big Lebowski is, is my top Coen Brothers movie. It's my top. It is probably the second one that I saw. Probably the first one that I saw was Raising Arizona. That one is fantastic. And I think I saw that even before I could have told you who the Coen Brothers were. And they didn't really come onto my radar again until Fargo. That's my dad saw in the theaters. I wasn't allowed. But then it wasn't long after Big Lebowski came out. I was able to watch Big Lebowski. Yeah. I, uh, I've been watching it ever since. Yeah, I, I, I didn't watch Fargo until probably 10 years or so ago. Okay. So it was it was fairly recent for me for seeing Fargo, but it seemed like Big Lebowski many times before that. But still, Big Lebowski, I, I, uh, I saw fairly late in the game, too. Um, I didn't see it when it first came out. I saw it, I think, yeah, I think I got home from work one night when I was bartending. Okay. I got home from work one night, and my dad was sitting in the living room. It was on TV, and he was watching it, so I caught, yeah. like, the second half of it. Then sometime after that, went and actually watched it from the beginning. Yeah, no, like, I, it came on my radar. You know, I remember actually uh, there being a news segment on the weekend talking about Steve Buscemi and, hey, in the new Coen Brothers movie. And they were like, will he die in his new role? And the big Lebowski. Since he had died in every Coen Brothers movie he'd been in, right? Oh, by the and, way. You know, high school. Before we get too much farther into this, uh, spoiler alert for everybody who uh, has not seen the movie. <laughs> if you haven't seen uh, Big Lebowski, then, uh, I mean, you, if you don't like spoilers, then why are you listening to a Big Lebowski podcast? But um, if you have not seen the movie and you don't want to be spoiled, then pause the podcast, go watch the movie, and please come back and listen. But if you don't mind spoilers, then keep on listening, because we are going to be talking about every aspect of this movie beginning middle end all of the uh all the fun stuff that happens all the not so fun stuff that happens and uh yeah so uh you have been warned Absolutely. anyway continue tony yeah so uh yeah and so yeah, it's been on my radar and i think as i got out of high school I was starting to get more into cinema and they were on my radar and i watched at some point probably a year or two after it was released i actually saw it, fell in love with it, and kind of fell in love with the Coen brothers. And I think I saw Fargo not long after that. I was able to get that a probably blockbuster. <laughs> 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 just we just the wife and I were telling our son just last week all about Friday night at Blockbuster video. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you and I used to spend plenty of Friday nights at Blockbuster. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then my uh, freshman year of college, I took a film studies class and we did a whole course on different directors. And one of them was the Coen Brothers. And so I'm seeing more of their movies. And so now for me, I'm not even watching. I just 
filter a lot of Big Lebowski through connections, but then the whole filmography. Uh, even by you know, at that point, you know they were very much had their set standard of actors. John Goodman being one of them. Who, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, how many Brothers is, movies has John Goodman been in? I mean, he's well, been he, in almost all of them, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, up to that point, he'd been in almost all of them. He doesn't do as many now, but um, he, he did Raising Arizona. Mm-hmm. He was in part Fink and oh, after Brother Arthur. More recently, um, Llewellyn Davis. So, yeah, he, yeah. the mainstay. Anyway, but he, I guess just from the beginning of the movie, he just sets it with the music and then Sam Elliott's narration. Yes, Sam Elliott is a very underrated narrator. Everybody always gives it to uh, to Morgan Freeman, which, which, I mean, deservedly so. Morgan Freeman is a great narrator. But nobody gives Sam Elliott enough credit for his narrating no. abilities. Absolutely. And his mustache. Uh. I mean, <laughs> Sam Elliott, yes, everybody appreciates his mustache. But, I mean, the, the three mustaches that, like, beat all mustaches, at least according to the general public, is uh, Tom Selleck, Burt Reynolds, and Sam Elliott. Sam. Now, I would have to give Sam Elliott the edge on that one. Because, I mean, not only is it a fantastic stash... But he has had it in many different styles throughout his career. Well, that was what I was going to bring up. He he had the he's very versatile with his mustache. Yes, your Selleck mustache and your Reynolds mustache—they're pretty much the same style. I mean, maybe a couple of slight tweaks here and there throughout their careers, but but it's it's almost like just about every role that Sam Elliott has, he has a different style of mustache, and they're yeah, all great. He does. And yeah, and even here, you know, he, you know, he gets a little bit of screen time, and it's its own stash again. Mm-hmm. And fits with this cowboy hat. Yeah, his whole setup, his whole style, as a dude would call it. Yep. Right. Yep. <laughs> and I don't know. He's like, you know, in a lot of ways, I guess a narrator, you can kind of think of it, you know, being the Greek chorus. Yeah, just adds everything you need to it. Yeah, and they bring him in at the right time. I like how he actually shows up in the movie. Yeah. And then while on screen, he does the uh, ending narration for the movie. Or at least starts the ending narration. Yes, he does. So it, it's not like he plays a separate character in the movie when he's on screen than it is when he's no. the narrator. But it's, the, it's same the same guy. guy. <laughs> Which is just, it, it's it's great how they're able uh, to tie that in. Yeah. And, you know, it was, I guess, you know, when you watch anything, you know, especially always different things pick up, but sometimes there's different facets of things that catch your attention more. Maybe you kind of forgot about. And it's just even, I guess, kind of that last interaction between the dude and the stranger. Mm-hmm. Just kind of going back and forth about all, you know, almost all the events. Yeah. <laughs> and you kind of wonder, is, is stranger some ways not really god but like you know really who is he and Mm -hmm. (laughs) how does he actually fit in and how does he know everything yeah i i think it's great casting oh yeah sometimes you eat the bar and sometimes the bar eats you right i mean it's a perfect summation of the themes of the movie yeah and i think that was the next thing i think of is you have his narration and you got all the shots of la 
And that's, I think, besides dialogue, scripting, you know, I think one of the great strengths of the Coen Brothers movies is that, like, they really kind of nail their setting. They know well how to convey, like, that certain, not just the era, but, again, I guess, you know, when I say setting, whether it be Los Angeles or Texas, Minnesota. Yeah. You know, how to nail the, the, the characters and the people, they get everything feel really lived in. And they do that well with establishing all the shots, I think. And just the, the tumbleweed. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, but again, you know, tumbleweed it harkens is, back. If, yeah. For anyone that's seen Miller's Crossing, there's a hat that tumbles also in that movie. It's very, you know, that's conveying much the same feeling of randomness, of not knowing where things are going. Which is one of the brilliant things about the movie is that it's so super well scripted, right? You know, mm-hmm. everything is laid out in that movie, how they're going to do it, how they're going to shoot it. But, you know, one of the themes about it is just the randomness of everything. Yeah. You don't know yeah. what's going to happen. And, you know, as just quote you're saying, you know, sometimes um, you eat the bar and sometimes the bar eats you. But it's kind of a great setup for everything because it's, again, he has kind of the closing narration. He's a dude, do the vibes, ends it. A good bookmark for everything that then comes in between. Yeah. The book ends. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's brilliantly done. It is a great movie. It really is. It's it's a well-made, well-acted, well-written, well-directed movie. I, I will say, because I, I did watch it again, um, I almost don't have to, but I'm not going to pass up a chance yeah. <laughs> to watch The Big yeah. Lebowski. Usually, if I'm going to be imbibing in anything, it will be either a white Russian or a beer, right? I drank coffee with it this time. Oh, really? Yes. Really? See, if I had had, well if I had, the, if I had had the fixings for a white Russian, I would have made one while I was watching it. But no, I think I, I think I had a beer while I was watching it. Yep. But I, I finished my coffee. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, I I love that scene. I mean, we can get to that later. I, <laughs> <laughs> because Walter had friends that died face down in the muck. Yes, so yes, I he did. Coffee while watching this fine movie. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want a toe, he can get you a toe. <laughs> you want to know how? I'll get you a toe. Yeah, but. Yeah. But, uh, so it's again, you know, that, that setup, and it all leads brilliantly just to the introduction to the dude. Yeah, it's just uh, played just, brilliantly by just, by Jeff Bridges, which is almost crazy when you think about. Because I was thinking about it again, it's like he's become so synonymous with the dude. Yeah, now, yeah, right. Like you know, when that first came out, he would not have been that synonymous. No, I mean, what what was his big his big classic role before that? Like, what was was there a particular character that he was? Known no, more I mean, for like, than anything else that he's played. He, he had some lead roles, but he did a lot of the character roles too. Because I mean, he was Flynn and Tron. He had a couple Oscar nominations, but, but he wasn't like he's a name that moviegoers knew. But it wasn't like he was. I mean, at that point, I think he had two, maybe three Oscar nominations. Yeah, I mean, at that but, point, he wasn't nominated for Big Lebowski. No, no, but yeah, he. he I mean, he had been in a lot of stuff. He he was a, a successful actor, 
and you know everybody yeah. knew his name but there was never never like really one particular character that he was known for at the time right and, and he was a rather you know up to that point mostly serious roles and you know i think it took until most people had been able to watch it through mostly like video dvd tv that he slowly became the dude to everybody yeah right? That same year, um, I think it was the same year, 98, Arlington Road came out, and that was such a different role for him. Yeah, it was. It was a great Um, movie, though. Closer to his more normal role you would expect Jeff Bridges to be in, which is kind of, you know, it's funny because, like, most of the wardrobe in that movie was his wardrobe. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, most of what the dude wears is Jeff Bridges' um, clothes. If he's watched The Fisher King... Jeff Bridges wears some of the same clothes that the dude wears. It. <laughs> so, but uh, he embodies the character. He yeah. creates the character, becomes the character, and it's perfect because it's so iconic. And obviously, there's other iconic characters in it as well. Yeah. And just a little aside, so, if you, if you like Jeff Bridges, you should check out uh, The Old Man on uh, FX and Hulu. The, the new series with him. He plays a yeah, retired CIA operative. That, like, that, uh, yeah, it, it's fantastic. He does an excellent job in it. I am behind on a lot of my TV watching. I'm finally finished season five of Better Call Saul, which I had been oh, mostly yeah. caught up to until the middle of season five. Okay, I've, I've only watched two through, and a half years to finish it. I've only watched through season two so far on that, so I still have a little bit of watching to do okay. on Better Call Saul. Yeah. So... But yeah, I'm behind a lot of my TV. It's just uh, yeah. stuff out there. But yeah, I just love how that like opening scene of him is just he's in the bathroom and his little jelly mm-hmm. slippers. <laughs> <laughs> At Ralph's. Yeah. Buys the half and half, writes a check for sixty nine cents. That's it. September 11th, 2000. Yeah, that's right. 1991. That's right. It was September 11th, 1991. And he got Bush, you know, speaking, Mm -hmm. obviously, you know. And, you know, there's one of those details. And, you know, they kind of set up that, yeah, that's going to be when it's set. Right? It's about the time of the Gulf War. There's aspects of there that they then sprinkle into the rest of the movie. Whether it's the line of, this cannot stand, or Saddam popping up in the middle of a yeah in the middle of the dream sequence (laughs) which that was the first time i saw the movie i came in on the dream sequence so that scene was the first scene that i saw (laughs) 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 like why is saddam hussein giving someone bowling shoes yeah Oh, yeah. Saddam gives him bowling shoes in his dream. Um, that's a yeah, funny scene to go in on. Like, you just randomly yeah. see Saddam Hussein and there's this giant tower of bowling shoes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and then he's, uh, then the dude is just floating down the bowling lane underneath all the women's legs and slowly spinning around. Uh, did you ever he hear? He sees something frightening. Yep, with sees something frightening. And his eyes get huge. <laughs> you know what happened there? So happened? I, I'm not sure that that, uh, that that particular reaction was in the script. But according to 
I was listening to a, an interview with uh, with Jeff Bridges before, and he was telling about that scene. And one of the uh, one of the girls in the scene had uh, taken a bunch of like a big like a wig or a big bunch of hair and crammed it down the front of her pants. So it's like coming out on the sides. So when he when he, he turned and looked up, that's what he saw. He saw this just like big bundle of of hair. <laughs> just, yeah. So that that reaction may or may not have been in the script. I don't I don't know if it was or not, but. But apparently it was that worth was putting in regardless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I love how the the dream sequence is called gutter balls where cuz the whole I mean we haven't gotten to the talking about that part of the movie yet but it's it, yeah it, it's a reference to Jackie Treehorn being a, a porn producer. <laughs> <laughs> and the dude's dressed like a cable guy because of the, the video that that uh, Maude had shown him the beginning of log before jamming. log jamming <laughs> <laughs> with the cable guy. You'll never guess what happens next. Uh, he fixes the cable. He fixes the cable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he fixed something. <laughs> Uh, yeah, is it, 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 it's actually pretty impressive. I, I've thought about this before. Man, this just I guess shows you how quickly they produce those types of movies, right? We find out later in the movie, like, Bunny's barely been in L.A. for a year, but she's been there long enough to get married to yeah to the big Lebowski, billionaire, but yeah, and then also star in pornography. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Be enough people to help set forth these events. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then thinking about like this, and I guess it gets back to the setting though. Like, I was just kind of thinking about like, you had, I had a thought about the dream sequences because the dream sequence, two of them, they're, they're really off the wall and it makes yeah. sense. But just the other parts of the setting, like the dude's apartment is like major. Set piece, yeah, and there's so many little aspects I of mean, it. The whole great, and I love how like the first thing you know, the time you see it, it's just you kind of break off of the music. Now you can really get in the movie, and there's these two kind of low level thugs. Yeah, one played by one of which is Jacob. Yeah, one is Jacob from Lost. Like, <laughs> Mark uh, Pellegrino. A lot of people kind of figure it out later. It's like, oh. That one, thug, yeah. That one thug is Jacob. Yeah, Jackie anyway. Treehorn's thug is Jacob. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, the whole inciting incident <laughs> of the movie. He gets home from from buying his half and half at Ralph's. Just wants his white Russian. Just wants his white Russian. He walks in the house, gets attacked by by Jackie Treehorn's thugs. Starts getting a swirly by <laughs> <laughs> by Mark Pellegrino by Jacob. Yeah. Um, <laughs> While the other guy pees on his rug, that really that Which, it really like, tied the room together. It's, the, it's obviously the catalyst is him peeing on the rug. But, yeah, and 
It never makes sense. No. Why? Why, why did he pee on his rug? It it's makes no sense. Time to pee in his toilet mm-hmm. waiting for him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I can think of is just that it, uh, it's trying to intimidate him or something, or I don't know. Maybe he's not housebroken. Trying to just trying to just rub in the fact that that you know they're there to to get Jackie yeah, Treehorn's money. Say, you see what happens? See what happens? Which is a line that does come up Yes, it is. Really, ha- I've never really thought about that. How like that line happens again later? Yeah, yeah. It, say, so yeah, I never thought about that either. You, you know what? Well, that sets off another alternative type of movie where that guy needs to try to track down and figure out how to get his car back. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. But obviously it's a catalyst. And yeah, like I was like, you know, you know, dudes are obviously upset because the rug tied the room together. It really did. It's weird that some strange dude's peeing on it. And furthermore, like like he said, it's pretty obvious He's not a millionaire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I thought his his reaction was perfect when the Jacob thug picks up the bowling ball. He's like, what's this? And the dude's like, obviously you're not a golfer. <laughs> and he drops it on his tile. Yeah. Like, do you think that screwed the dude's, like, security yeah. deposit? Yeah. I mean, the dude didn't <laughs> seem to be paying his rent <laughs> anyway, so... <laughs> Or at least not on time, but uh. <laughs> there is a little detail that I've always kind of like. Again, it just it's the little specifics. It's like if you look at the toilet paper holder, it's just like a one yeah, little just, square, yeah, one little off. square toilet paper on the on the. And then on there's the a roll. small roll on top of on top of the tank. Yeah. <laughs> and uh. yeah, so you know that's how it sets off, and obviously, also. Obviously, Obviously not a golfer. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah, it's a great introduction with, to the character now too. Like we kind of hear about him, we see the scene in the grocery store, but now we see him actually interact, and you kind of see the chill attitude, and, and then it segs towards the bowling alley where we get into our next characters, yeah, right? Where we meet Walter um, and Donnie. The, Feel out the rest of his world. You get the next major kind of set piece, the bowling alley. But you get that feel now for his friends. You feel the world that he lives in beyond just the apartment. What you say, you know, is Donnie and Walter. Who <laughs> the two of them have a great dynamic throughout the whole movie. They do, and it's it's kind of subtle how they do it too. Mm-hmm. You know, you get one very bombastic personality and one very mousy personality who. You know, Steve Buscemi doesn't really have a lot of lines. No, no, he really doesn't. He's but he's like, kind of just a background character the whole time. But he's background, but like he plays it well with yeah. like how he responds to things and the timing between the characters with it. Because you know, first see Donnie, he's bowling, he gets a strike, right? And the dude's just telling a story, and he yeah. just just walks into the story. Yeah, <laughs> like like. Walter says, right? Yeah. But then it's the timing between how it all unfolds from there. And then just they're they're talking about Lenin. <laughs> <laughs> like I am the Russian walrus. Lenin. <laughs> Donnie thinks they're talking about John Lennon, so he just keeps on repeating, I am the walrus. <laughs> I am the walrus. I am the walrus. 
<laughs> but you know, Donnie's probably a Beatles fan. It's, it's fine. <laughs> you know, I can see the dude getting really into acid era Beatles. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. And, you know, but I guess it's the thing too with Walter. It's like, you know, like he just brings out so many different kind of references. He's kind of funny, like, he's angry and impulsive. He's kind of like this intelligent guy. Like he yeah. kind of senses what's going on the yeah. entire time. He, he's very, then, like, yeah, he's very intuitive. That will eventually say that, oh, I think she's like been, you know, she kidnaps herself. Mm-hmm. But he's, he's intuitive and, you know, he's, again, you know, he's not one rattled easily either. You know, it's yeah. just like, I mean, he's a vet. When he's everything a, goes wrong, he's just like he's a Vietnam vet. But uh, I'm a vet. He doesn't oh, shut up about Vietnam the whole movie. <laughs> but uh, even when he's getting his coffee, yep, right? Like, even so when he's getting his I'm coffee, I'm drinking my coffee. <laughs> he wants to enjoy yeah. that family establishment, <laughs> yeah, which is a corner diner. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like he's you know, I aside from when like <laughs> Smokey goes over the line. <laughs> the one time where you know the rest of the the rest of the whole escapade, he's very much like the dude. He's like not getting too freaked out about the situation. Yeah, he's nothing can Very you know laid back, just rolls with the punches. You know, no matter how crazy things <laughs> get, I mean he's. Right I mean, in the middle of I it. I guess he does kind of blow up Larry. Yeah, he does. He <laughs> does. <laughs> he does blow up a little bit with Larry. <laughs> but within the situation of what's actually going on, yeah. like, he's like, there's nothing wrong with this situation. Yeah. He's exploring up the situation that the dude's rug's been pissed on. <laughs> <laughs> that the money was stolen from them. You know, at least he thinks. And that he doesn't have his undies. Yep. Yep. <laughs> his briefcase full of tidy whities Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And then there's just Donnie. You know, he's just like the child. <laughs> yep. Always comes in late to the conversation. Never really quite understands what's going on, but he still goes along with it. And he just uh, wants these in and out for Yep, just wants his in and out burger. <laughs> Those are some good burgers. They are. They are. <laughs> oh, then. Uh, but yeah, it's like, you know, it's, I like. It's like kind of like their round table. This is the bowling alley. It's like kind of meet and it goes off from there. And, and he convinces the dude, you know, it should be the other Lebowski. Yep. Yeah, all well, all well, bring in, uh, bring in his ex wife's dog that he calls a Pomeranian, but it's really a Yorkie into the bowling alley with him because he's watching the dog while she's out of town. Did you ever notice the dog's name? It's written on no. the uh, dog carrier. There's a little little yeah. name name plate on the above the door on the carrier. His name's Thurston. <laughs> <laughs> like that should be like that should be Brant's name. And it really should be <laughs> the Pomeranian should be Brant. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of Brant, oh, brilliantly, 
brilliantly played by Phil- well, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, that's got to be. I mean, he was it, Philip Seymour Hoffman was a fantastic actor, right? He was but, a fantastic actor. Uh, At that point, he was still very much not that well known. A lot of very, you know, kind of smallish supporting mm-hmm. roles. <laughs> Twister. Yep. Catch Adams. Yep. I think before Big Lebowski, I, you know, I don't think I would have realized that Grant was the same character from Twister. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I mean, <laughs> with, same, with, same actor. Yeah, same actor. But yeah, with uh, with all of the amazing roles that he's had since then. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I would still, I, I still have to put Brant as my all-time favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman role. Yes, he just he was perfect for that role. Yeah, he played him so so well. He, you know, it's one of the few. It's funny. It's one of the few straight roles. Mm-hmm. In the entire movie. In the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yet, you know, there's still there's you know there's a little yeah. bit of a comedic yeah. edge to it exactly. as well. Yeah, it's it's one of the few like you just know, straight roles, but you know. <laughs> he's, it's I think when they're in a limo, just repeating everything that that uh, the Big Lebowski's saying, just a lot calmer. <laughs> yep, this is our concern, dude. <laughs> And he and and as soon as the dude said that he wanted to be called the dude, and Brent never called him Mr. Lebowski again. He called him the dude every time he talked to him again for the rest no, of the movie. I, that, that was the thing I was going to say. When he first meets him, he's being the proper butler, yeah. right? Calling someone Mr. Lebowski. Or, yeah. And from then on, he's like, it's yeah. all about, he just calls him the dude. As soon as the dude asked him to call him the dude, then he calls him the dude the every time he talks to him. As yeah. the butler, right? Exactly. You call somebody what they want to be called. But uh, <laughs> I, just, I just, just love that reaction yeah, at the he, pool side. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We're yeah. all very fond of her. <laughs> he's just so he's just so uncomfortable. Like, I'm gonna find a cash machine. <laughs> He's just so he's he's trying to end the conversation because he's so uncomfortable, <laughs> but he doesn't know how to end it and get, get the dude back to the back to his car. But it's interesting. I you know I was kind of thinking about this this most recent rewatch, and I guess it's because I'd seen the movie Magnolia not long before it, you know, came out about a year after Big Lebowski, and he doesn't play the same character. But in a similar situation where he plays a nurse, he plays a nurse, he's not a butler, but he's a nurse to a guy with a lot of money and kind of his age in a way. And so, you know, it's kind of, I thought it was kind of an interesting side-by-side comparison. And it's very different, very different movies. But yeah, he plays the two of them in some ways the same, both around L.A. But that's the thing about his characters. Like, it's a straight character within this movie of really off-the-wall characters. Even though the movie does feel like it really fits into and is a real setting, it's not just some crazy made-up thing, right? Okay, yeah. But he fits perfectly within it, and then yeah, like you say, like he just kind of repeats what the Big Lebowski says, and he kind of becomes the reasonable mouthpiece of yeah. the Big Lebowski. Because the, the Big Lebowski's mad, he's yelling at him, and 
and Brant's just sitting there. He's very calmly, <laughs> you know, maybe changing a few, of the, maybe paraphrasing what the Big Lebowski's saying, but saying it a lot more calmly. And, <laughs> oh. and yeah, it's it's a great role for him. It's kind of like again, like I said, it's one of his earlier roles in a way before we kind of became more of like the more noted character actor, I guess. Yeah. Sadly, it, it, no, we no longer have him. But yeah, I mean, it, it really, it was a testament to his acting ability to be able to play Brant the way that he did. Because like you were saying, he was one of the few just straight characters in the movie. Like not comedic to the core or anything like so many others in the movie yeah. were, but he played him completely straight. But there were times when he was actually one of the funniest people in the movie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just because of the way that he was performed, I, I, it's, it's the line I just always come back to. I've already said, it's like, this is our concern, dude. <laughs> you know, it's just like, the way he said. <laughs> he's got his hand on his lap, oh. just like kind of flat. Yep. Sitting he's sitting straight, there, his shoulders kind of sitting up straight. Up. You know, he's got perfect posture in the back of the limo. He's got his hands just sitting in his lap. <laughs> Yeah, Big Lebowski screaming up the plane crashing into the mountain. He's like, this is our concern. <laughs> this is our concern, dude. Very businesslike about it. <laughs> but, you know, and again, you know, like it's the, the bad cat part. You know, the thing I was thinking about in that part of it, it was like, again, we talked about how, like, you have Walter's, like, very intuitive. It's like, oh, yeah, no. Well, not, I guess, Ma's the one that brings up this point. About who you know, not knowing your kidnappers, yeah. So yeah, and like the dude just kind of floating out there all around. What's going on? He eventually figures it out. But I guess it's what yeah, I, mean, that? I, said, I mean, the dude's got a lot of other stuff on his plate too, though. I mean, he's he does. He has the obligation that you know he he promised his landlord that he would go to his play, so yeah. he's got to make it to that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's got. He's got the, uh, the the bowling league that uh, you know he's trying well, to get I mean, into that's the championship. What Walter's concerned about Walter, Walter's right. It's yeah. the you know it's the round robin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets all this big Lebowski stuff thrown on his plate, and so he's got to he's got to take care of that it's, again. He just walks into it. And he has a walk. It gets walked into him with the Chinaman, <laughs> Asian American. Please. It's not the preferred vernacular. <laughs> nomenclature. Or nomenclature. nomenclature. Yes, nomenclature. There we go. <laughs> not the preferred nomenclature. But yeah, and then, no. And it's just the kind of switching in between. Like, you have all those characters set now, and then you get the Jesus. <laughs> yes. John Turturro. It's John Turturro. He's a... <laughs> He's... A Jewish dude oh. playing a Latin American bowler. Oh, <laughs> uh, he only has a couple of scenes in the movie, but <laughs> he has two two scenes plus like that flashback. Yeah, where uh, he's going door to door. Yep, because <laughs> yep. he had to register to explain as a, that uh... he's got a record. Yep, <laughs> he's a sex offender. What the record? <laughs> Uh, not just any sex offender, a child sex offender. Um, like you know, the thing I've always like Liam is his teammate. See Liam, mm-hmm. their 
tying the balls together. <laughs> yeah. And the, you briefly see, like, their third teammate, but you never, ever hear anything else about them. You don't True. hear his name. True. You don't see him again. You see, you see the Shut Jesus, up. you see Liam, and you see... Oh, I guess Smokey's not on their team. No, Smokey's a different... different. Smokey's yeah. on a different team. You're right. You don't, I don't, you don't really Smokey ever... Would, I don't think Smokey would roll with the Jesus. No. No, probably not. He's a pacifist, man. He's a conscientious objector. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. You see the Jesus, you see Liam, but you only see their third teammate just sitting like, in the chairs a, back in the sitting back. in the background. Like he points to Liam, and mm-hmm. Liam points back, and you see him behind, sitting behind Liam. They all got the same colored bowling yeah. shirt, right? It's purple. Yeah. And he's got like a jet black mustache. That's all you see of it. He's got, he kind of nods. That's it. Later, when Jesus is upset that Walter got the date changed, <laughs> so he wouldn't roll on Saturday. He doesn't, yeah, because he doesn't roll on a shop. You don't see him. You see Liam in that scene, but you don't see the other teammate. So who is the other teammate? Always want to know that. I mean, maybe, maybe they'll make another movie about him. I mean, they made one about the Jesus. They made the Jesus rolls, which yes. I haven't seen, but I have not heard good things about it. I have not heard good things. It is not affiliated with the Coens. It's just the character. Okay, so it's not affiliated <laughs> with the Coens at all? Yes, it's just okay. Dude, that makes That makes me feel better about it, because <laughs> I was afraid that it was somehow affiliated with them and um, you know that but he's another cohen regular or at least up to that point he was yeah very common cohen um martin fink Phyllis crossing mm-hmm. oh brother Fink, Art Thou, love, which was after Phyllis crossing but yeah he's really good um collaborator with them at that point yeah and so he's just another one of those crazy iconic characters of the movie who and it's funny because like he really does add almost nothing to the plot. He's just there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Being with the bowling alley. That's it. Licking uh, his bowling ball before he rolls it. <laughs> just with the tip of his tongue. Just... <laughs> oh. They have Hotel California. They have Hotel California yes. playing, which does yes. come up again later in the movie. In Spanish. And it's not, a, you know, it's. Like a Spanish cover of it. It's not a Spanish yeah. dub of it. <laughs> Just, the music was phenomenal. And the, the music choices were, were just so well done. Just bouncing the eagles and the credits. I mean, everybody everybody goes on and on about about uh, James Gunn's music in the Guardians movies and, and you know, other mm-hmm. movies that he makes. Which, yes, James Gunn has a great music selection for his movies. But nobody talks enough about the Coen Brothers selection. No, Coen Brothers have a great ear for music in their in their movies. They, they do. know what songs are going to fit. You know which ones are just going to be perfect for different scenes. Absolutely. No, I, I was I was thinking you mentioned Gun. I thought I was thinking about Tarantino also. Oh yeah, Tarantino oh, also. But yeah, not enough people really appreciate like how important the music is for just setting the scene in a movie. Absolutely. You know, especially when you kind of think about, like, you know, it could be whether it be the score, especially when yeah. it's the soundtrack. You know, you yeah, kind of forget how important that soundtrack can be in terms of, especially when it's, you know, you're not an original yeah. soundtrack. I mean, picking stuff up, especially within a period piece. Which, you know, at that point, I mean, I mean it was know, still a somewhat period piece. I mean, it was released it in 98. Yeah. It was still, but again, a lot of the music that you listen to is actually from like the 70s because of 
who the characters are. Yeah. Right? They're going to be listening to 70s music, yeah. not 90s music, because that's their generation's music is, you know, Credence or the Eagles or whoever might and <laughs> I, be. I just, I just realized what's so great about Hotel California playing over the Jesus scene. Because mm-hmm. it just hit me. I don't know why it just hit me for the dozens of times that I've seen the movie. It never hit me until now. But, you know, the dude hates the Eagles. Yes. Then with the Jesus being pretty much his enemy at the like in the bowling alley anyway. You know, it's an Eagles song that's playing over him. I mean, it's yeah. it's a Spanish cover of an Eagles song. But still, it's it's <laughs> fitting. I, I don't know why I just, I just realized that, but. It is. You, you mentioned the music. I, I kind of had forgotten about this. I made a note of it when I was rewatching it. Yeah, I was actually, yeah, I had kind of on in the background credits. I was watching it the other day. And I don't think I ever really got to the end of the credits before, but they have a Sean Colden cover of Viva Las Vegas. Really? And. <laughs> Yes, like she recorded a cover specifically for the Big Lebowski. Wow, Viva Las Vegas, which you know you hear Bunny listening to it when she's in the car. Yeah, then crashes into the fountain. I thought like, oh, that's actually very specific to a time because I don't think I've listened to Sean Colvin in forever. Like I barely listened to her in the nineties, aside from whatever might come on the radio that my parents had on, right? You know, she's kind of one of those forgotten singer-songwriters. Anyway, I saw the, like, I was listening to, like, it was this female singing Viva Las Vegas, and, like, like who was that? And I just stayed, I kept watching it, and I saw it come down to the, you know, the music credits, and Sean Cole, like, really, Sean Colvin recorded a song for the Big Lebowski. Wow. Huh. Anyway. But, yeah, the choice bands, the music, it sets it off, set it within the, to the characters, too. Yeah. Um, and, again, like you said, any movie, it, is really crucial to have certain themes attached to them and the Coen's do it well. Yeah. Before it all starts to go crazy. Instead of all the different characters, we haven't met really all the characters yet, I guess yet, because Mod comes later. Yeah, Mod comes in later oh. and uh, the nihilists come in later. Yeah, I mean, you know, you well, see... Well, you kind of see, you see uh, uh, Peter Stormare just... floating around in the pool when... Uh, when floating in the pool. Big Lebowski's mansion. He's a nihilist. He won't care. <laughs> <laughs> empty bottle of Jack. He's an empty bottle of Jack. Yep. Yep. Which is weird. Like, he's a German nihilist. Like, why is he drinking Jack? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> now, did you notice something that I noticed here? Uh, when they're leaving the bowling alley, the dude and Walter are walking out of the door. Walter's carrying the dog carrier, but the dog's not in it. Right. He's running along the, on the rolling ground next to him. Yeah. At their, you know, at their heels. Yes. You know, runs up around the side of the car. Walter opens up the back door of the dude's car, puts the dog carrier in, and then closes the door. The dog never got in the car. <laughs> <laughs> they must have they must have gone back for it or picked it up and put it in there at some point. But and you never see him put the home. dog in the car because cause the dog shows up later in the movie. Yes. But uh Yeah, the dog shows up He's when, there at the when final they go Yeah, when they go to confront the big Lebowski later. Thurston's He's sitting there. there running in the in the house with him. But, uh, but yeah, he never gets in the, the car that. after Walter drops him. Yep. It's kind of an interesting little continuity thing, you know. They, they happen. They get yep. stuck in there sometimes. Yep. Now, I mean, it's possible that, you know, you don't actually see, you know, the 
underneath the car or anything like that because it's a small dog. The dog I guess could have jumped up in the in the car. You just don't yeah, see it because the car up. is blocking him. But yeah. but yeah, the, and, the way that that it's the way that the scene is is played, it, it it doesn't look like the dog jumped up into the car. So, no. but. <laughs> But sometimes you just have to accept those little minor continuity issues. Yeah. But it's fine. They happen. Yeah. So yeah, you have this this setup there and now you get to the story, which, you know, obviously always you know, when you look back at it's like yeah, it's like this, this strange thing, uh kidnapping bunny. Like especially with what we know of Jackie Shoehorn's thugs. Yeah. <laughs> that they would just kinda of kidnap her and ask her all that. Jackie Chihuahua had better methods than just doing that. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I doubt that a famous, you know, porn at least producer. famous in the in the the porn circles, famous producer would uh, would sink to kidnapping something that that could very easily, you know, get out to the public <laughs> that he's involved in. You know, he could barely when he has other methods that he could use. Back to the Big Lebowski without kidnapping. Bunny. Yeah. Which, by the way, I, I always think this is weird. It's like pretty obvious he's this porn producer, but like, how does he carry like a lot of weight in Malibu? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a quiet beach community. Yeah, like, <laughs> with a massive porn producer. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, fascist police chief. Anyway, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Now, when they do, when, yeah, I mean, it's, when the dude does get to Jackie Treehorn's house and they're having a big beach party outside, you can't you can't forget about. I I I wrote him down in my notes as uh, too excited trampoline guy. <laughs> if you've seen the movie, you know which guy I'm talking about. You and I have talked about them plenty of times. Yes, we have. It's kind of like, you know, one of those almost unsung extras. <laughs> just, it's one of those like, human trampolines, so like, they've got a bunch well, of people around holding this, this. Showing the woman. Yeah, they're just throwing this woman up on this human trampoline, and it's just, it keeps on zooming in on the guy's face, and he's just way too excited about the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> He's got his Kenny G like, hair. That excited to be at Jackie Treehorn party? Like yeah. He finally got invited. <laughs> oh. Anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, the entire situation around it, like, they even kind of do mention it. It's like, it stinks. It's, I mean, it's kind of a crazy plot it's within the movie. But the entire situation, it stinks. And even beyond everything like the dude speaks with them on the phone and definitely doesn't sound like anybody else. They all look very different from everything he experienced in the apartment, right? There's three of them. Now they walk to straight undies. <laughs> yeah, because the big Lebowski gave him a briefcase full of phone books, told him it was a million dollars to make the exchange, and Walter yep. Created a ringer by taking a briefcase and filling it full of his dirty undies. <laughs> kind of a smart idea, I guess. Yeah. No? <laughs> yeah. But as the dude says later, you know, you 
switched out a ringer for a ringer. There's, by the way, some of the little details. It's always funny watching movies, especially, I think, from, like, the mid, late 90s, early 2000s. And I see, like, oh, yeah, that made a day. These little details would be different, right? Yeah. Like, the phone they gave the dude. Yes. They would have given, like, a burner cell phone. Yeah, they would have given a burner cell phone. But that was the cell phone of the early 90s. Like, the purse yes. phone. The, the, the box with the phone on top of it and a shoulder strap. Yeah. That was the cell phone of the early 90s. <laughs> yeah. 1991. Which, you know, and I guess it's the funny thing about, like, even though, like, the movie was definitely made, like I said, like, you know, it was about seven years after Pig's Place. They still fit that time frame well, knowing those details. But none of it feels dated. You no. Know? It just no. feels like a movie that was set in that year, and they found a way to do it correctly. Yeah. Like, nothing about it even feels like it was made in the late 90s. Right? You know, some movies that might be kind of take place in a different year still kind of like, oh, yeah, you can tell that movie was made then. But Big Lebowski doesn't. But yeah, and you that know, just, you, you that, those, that those just goes right. even more t- into, uh, you know, how great of filmmakers the Coen brothers are. You know, they take yes. all that into account and... You know, they're able to pull it off so many times. Because how many other movies are, how many of the Coen Brothers movies are, you know, more or less a period piece? You know, yeah, they, I mean, they set a no. lot of movies at least a few years in the past. Yes. Most of them are. Like, one I think about, a movie that's very similar, it takes a darker tone, is a serious man. And that's a movie that takes place in the 60s that was made, like, in the late 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know... Yeah. Oh, brother, where are thou? Yeah, oh, brother, where are thou? Taking place in the Dust Bowl. Taking place in the thirties, and then a few of them like would be like modern. Day. Like Raising Arizona was the current day, no, nineteen eighty-seven, present day of the movie. No Country for Old Men was like nineteen eighty. Yeah, that was in the eighties. Yeah, it came out in the two thousands, but it it took place in the eighties. Yeah, like you said, you know, most of theirs don't take place in the year that's actually being made. You know, some some more do, recent, but, some. Yeah. Yeah. Some are only a few uh, years, yeah. you know, separate from yeah. from when they came like out. Said, but Lebowski, it's pretty close time period, but it's still the past. And as you know, anyone knows the early '90s and late '90s are very different. But yeah, yeah, I, I like kind of picking up on, especially now, more so than other times. Especially, I think movies that take place like in the '90s were made in the '90s, right? And I'm picking up on some of those details, like oh yeah, this would be different if. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 90s movies especially, there's there's just certain things that that you could do making a movie in the 90s that you can't do now, you know? Anyway, so the drop-off goes awry, and it sets off the rest of it, because now you have all these other parties. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You just don't have Lebowski. You also have Jackie Tree Orange Thugs, right? You know, you have The Nihilist, and then... You have Mod. You get Mod. The China. <laughs> Her introduction is so crazy, but it's so perfect for her character. He's just <laughs> walking in. He's confused. Like, where am I? Just hears some eerie music, and then. She and just comes in on a zipline. Lady comes <laughs> on a zipline with paintbrushes. <laughs> just splashes the paint all over a canvas that's laid out on the floor. <laughs> well, 
Why why did she have to be naked for that? <laughs> to represent the female form. Okay. Her <laughs> work is strongly vaginal. <laughs> That's true. And then they she's got just randomly hanging up in her loft apartment, she's got just a random painting of scissors. Which, which comes back later. Yeah, which comes back, comes back later and, you know, is referenced with the nihilists, you know, threatening to cut off the dude's Johnson after they throw a ferret in his bathtub. And while he's by out. the way, th- thinking about that, that artwork, like as as much as it's supposed to be of the female form, who would have thought that it kind of looks like what Jackson Pollock tried to do the Vitruvian man? Huh. Kind of looks like that to me. Okay. Okay. Anyway, that's huh. an aside. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's so strange that she's completely naked, just in a harness on a zipline. Just the first thing she says that is, "Does the female form make you uncomfortable, Mister Lebowski?" <laughs> in the tone, which in, in the tone and and, uh, and and cadence that. Only Julianne Moore can do. But, you know, with her character, that's some of the stuff I like about it, you know, and you can pick up on it later in the movie. Like, you know why she's asking that after you watch it again. Because she wants a child. Yes. And that's why, you know, she sends him to the doctor, who is very good and thorough. (laughs) Who, of course, is played by Ranjit (laughs) from How I Met Your Mother. Yep. (laughs) Who pretty much seems like the same character. Anyway, yep. but you know, and like Brant always calls him a dude. She just always calls him, I, you know, Jeffrey. first she says Miss Lebowski and then Jeffrey. And he's okay with it. Yeah, he's okay with that. He's perfectly comfortable with Jeffrey because he didn't want to be called Mr. Lebowski because he's not Mr. Lebowski. And, I mean, part of it is also <laughs> because, because uh, you know, Maud never disrespected him. No. You never. know, from their first meeting, she always showed him respect. You know, she all they they always had an interesting relationship, to where she is probably the one person that could get away with calling him Jeffrey. Yep, and Jesus, it's a terrific role for her. And I think at that time, I probably couldn't have told you who Julian Moore was when I first saw it. And she's just such a terrific actress. And I mean, when when did uh, character for her? When did the Lost World come out? The second Jurassic Park movie. Was that yeah, before that was or after? Before. Was it yes. before? Okay, then, it was before. Yeah, because I yeah. had seen her in that, and then she was also in Boogie Nights. That was <laughs> I didn't see that till years years later. But, I was gonna say I don't think you saw. No, I did not see Boogie Nights before I saw the Big Lebowski. Well, she was um, also in Shortcuts. She was in that too. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so she. But yeah, I, I had seen her in The Lost World. But not much else. Yeah, before I, forgot, Big Lebowski. I forgot about that. That's I would have known that, and I don't think I would have thought about that going into. But they're two di- two completely different characters, so it's very easy <laughs> yes. to think that it's a different actress. Yes, once she's shacking with Ian Malcolm or Jeff Goldblum, you know, the bridges. Anyway, well, she shows the dude log jamming. <laughs> <laughs> She doesn't want to be responsible for any delayed side effects. And she's the one who points out that the Nihilists used to have a band called Autobahn. Yes. They had one record <laughs> that didn't do very well. But yeah. You know, again, she's very small role for Julian Moore. Even at that point, I guess. Yes. Oh, also. Yes, she's starting to. So Peter Stormare's character 
I'm sure yes. it's a I'm sure it's a stage name for his porn career. But you know, do you know what his name, his character's name is? It's not Carl actually Hungus. in yes, Carl Hungus. It's not actually said there in the in the credits or anything. He's just listed as one of the nihilists in the credits. Yeah. But yeah, they've mentioned his name once in the movie. It's Carl Hungus. <laughs> My dispatcher said, <laughs> I am expert. <laughs> What's funny is like, you know, he, he's also in Fargo, which is, you know, the movie before Big Lebowski for the talent, right? But with movies, he speaks very kind of broken English. Yeah. Right? Not, I don't think either character is necessarily stupid. But I just, they speak very broken English. Like I said, I am expert. <laughs> Give what, give what you have us, and we call it even. <laughs> I have $4, almost five. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and Donnie's like, I got 13 bucks. <laughs> oh. And then, Which oh, we can't, we can't, we can't forget that, that, you know, one of the other nihilists is played by Flea from the Red Hot Chili yes. Peppers. Who, like, I think you would kind of forget, like, he shows up in random movies. He's also. Yeah. Back to the Future. Yeah, he's Needles two. in Back to the Future 2 and 3. And now he's in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Having a small say, part in Obi-Wan. I think one of the greatest bases of all times is just shows up in randomly random shows up, movies. Yeah, randomly shows up in movies. <laughs> but I guess if you're going to randomly show up in movies, he's picked some good ones. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to be in random movies, might as well make almost every one of the movies you show up in a classic. It's such an odd group. Those three, yeah, three nine plus two. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head who plays the third one. Yeah, I can't. I can't. I've seen him. I've seen him several times before. I just can't place his name. He just gets it. Yeah, gets <laughs> his face beat up by uh, Walter. Walter like single handedly like yeah it takes all three of them out. And and Flea <laughs> has a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Flea, Flea has an MP5K, but before he can use it, he gets hit in the stomach with a bowling ball. It's like the uh, most intense scene, right? You know, and does it lead to Donnie's heart attack? I don't know. Poor Donnie. I mean, like we talked yeah. about how Steve Buscemi like plays him so perfectly, and but like you said before, in just about every one of the Coen Brothers movies that he's in, his character dies. Yeah, and Donnie's in Fargo. The interesting thing about that, every time they show Donnie Bowl throughout the movie, he's always hitting strikes. He, that night, not he doesn't. He dies. There's one pin left standing. Uh, Torsten but, Vogues, or Vogue is, is the third okay. nihilist. What's interesting about Buscemi and the Coen Brothers movies, though, is that when he dies, as the movies progress, his remains get smaller and smaller. So... The previous movie we talked about, Fargo, spoiler alert, he gets put through a wood chipper. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but he does have the lower part of the leg remaining. Yep. <laughs> but after he dies in Ben Lebowski with his heart attack, he gets cremated. <laughs> yep, he gets cremated. And <laughs> it's just because they don't want to, uh, to pay $180 for an urn. <laughs> The most modestly, the most priced modestly receptacle. priced receptacle that the funeral home has. <laughs> they they so just go a, to Ralph's and they buy a Folgers, Folgers coffee can. <laughs> so the question is, did they just dump out the coffee 
or <laughs> did they brew it first? Did they put in? Did they put the coffee in a different can or like a Ziploc bag or something like that, so that they could brew it later, or did they just dump out the coffee so they could have the can? (laughs) And then did they clean the can out before they put Donnie's ashes in it, or is there some (laughs) coffee grounds mixed in with Donnie's ashes? Walter pinches pennies. I, I highly doubt he just dumped out the coffee. Yeah, true, true. He probably drank it. He probably put it in a different receptacle so that he could drink it later. (laughs) And I mean, they they respected Donnie. He was their friend. I'm sure they at least rinsed out the can before putting his ashes in there. They were trying to do what his dying wishes might well might well have been. They go stand on top of on the cliff, and they're gonna sprinkle his ashes over the ocean, and then the wind picks up and blows it all back at him. <laughs> and the dude is covered in and Donnie. Again, Walter brings everything back to Vietnam. Yep, yep in his eulogy <laughs> for Donnie, he brings up Vietnam. What the fuck does anything have to do with Vietnam? <laughs> oh. Like I like the emotion the dude shows there. Like he gets angry at the point of view, but there, like he seems like generally upset, right? You know, he's yeah. lost his friends. Yeah, I mean, he's been through a lot in and the course of the movie. It's been crazy. He's lost his car. You know, all the dude wanted was his rug back. Yep. And you know, not saying that that's the cause, obviously, of Donnie dying, but everything else, all the craziness. No. Just, I mean, Donnie he died because he had a heart attack. Day. Now, it could have been because of the shock of having the Nihilists there threatening them, or it could have been some other factor that caused it. Who knows? But it's like it's just such a mad cap of a movie. Mm-hmm. And it's such a just, again, it's a complete story. And the Coen brothers, they had a master of it, they know what they want to do with it. And the whole thing just like a bowling ball down the lane. It just yep. rolls. Yep. <laughs> it gets to its destination, and it uh, knocks down all the pins. That's all it depends, right? And, you know, it's kind of, you know, I think it really, movie that's good kind of summary of really where, who they are, who they, you know, or at least how they think, kind of their outlook on life, just the randomness of things. And it kind of even speaks within the scene of, like we were saying, like, the one scene where Dami isn't going to strike. Yeah. Right? Is he, dies, dies, he dies right? at the end of that scene. But, you know, the dude puts it well, strikes those gutters and mm-hmm. move along. And then, you know, the stranger brings up, you know, all the it's a little Lebowski coming, you know. Yep. So people come, they go. Yep. You know, it's easy to see it as it being nihilistic in some ways, but it's not. <laughs> There's nihilists <laughs> in the movie yep. who aren't really nihilists. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> her girlfriend gave up her his girlfriend gave up her toe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, which brings us back to the diner scene. <laughs> oh, the diner. You want a toe? <laughs> Get you a toe. <laughs> and I think that like it's like the middle scene in the movie, the diner scene, I think it's like perfect. It's actually yeah, it's not in the bowling alley, yeah. not the apartments, you know, it's just this random California diner. Because, yeah, I mean, the, the toe in question is, is supposedly Bunny's toe that was yes. sent to the big Lebowski, who then, in the limo scene, had Brant give it to the dude. 
But yeah, the diner scene was, like was it's not shortly possible after that scene. To find someone else's toe, paint it green, and go. <laughs> which is exactly what yeah, which is exactly what they did. It was the nihilist girlfriend's toe, <laughs> but it causes Walter to have a big freak out in the middle of the diner, <laughs> and then refuses to leave because this is America, and he's Excuse gonna finish his coffee. <laughs> the Supreme Court has roundly rejected prior <laughs> I'm gonna finish my coffee. I'm sure he enjoyed that call. Oh, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. <laughs> and that's why I finally, like, you know what? Because I was watching it, you know, it's like at one o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> so, you know what? I should drink some coffee watching this. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, you need the coffee to deal with the rest of the day. Can't have a beer right now. Not going to need the right restaurant right now. Let's do the, the coffee. Because there's a coffee scene yeah. in the movie. I mean, coffee's a good, a good midday drink. I mean, it's... Yeah, totally. It was like he enjoys a black, which I always appreciate. Yeah. I, if coffee. I'm having coffee, I always have a black. <laughs> I'm not a huge coffee uh, drinker, but I do drink it on occasion. And when I do drink it, I drink a black. It's a good choice. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think that kind of sums up most of the movie up for me. I mean, I can go on and on about so many other aspects of it. You know, yeah, I mean, tons there's of so many other characters. I mean, so we didn't much, get into... Yeah. Um, Don Polito's character. Yeah, if if, <laughs> if we were to go into everything about this movie, it'd be a, this podcast episode would be a lot longer. And that's the thing I thought about with this: is like, you know, it's it's how well the Coens construct everything. Yeah, there's just so even much content in a just two-hour movie. About in the middle of all this craziness, the dude takes time to. Soak in the bath with candles. Yeah, while listening <laughs> to the, the song of the whale. <laughs> this is a private residence, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's all these other things within it, and yeah, I mean, you can go on. And, and on, we haven't on, even on, mentioned on. little Larry Sellers, or we mentioned him, but Sellers. we didn't really get into the scene. But. <laughs> With the greatest TV the son, ever. <laughs> the son of Arthur Digby Sellers, who wrote 108 episodes of Branded, the bulk of the Not series. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You're killing your father, Larry. <laughs> He's in an iron lung. <laughs> Larry, and, the bed is here. The movie. What's an old dude doing an iron lung? In my <laughs> yeah. Is he still writing? Oh, no. <laughs> He has health problems. No, he has health problems. <laughs> oh. there's, there's still so many other aspects. Like we, even yeah. after that scene, they, they talk up about, oh, that's near the In-N-Out Burger. Yep. And two cars get destroyed. Two cars get destroyed. A brand new, or at least a N91, a brand new Corvette that Walter I just brought that destroys because week. he thinks that uh, that Larry bought it with the money that was in the dude's car, the money in the briefcase. It turns out well, there was no money in the Larry's briefcase. All that. Yeah. Larry's probably sitting there <laughs> laughing. Or actually, probably not, because Larry did, was not a very... He was not a very expressive kid. Larry's pretty stoic. Yeah. Very quiet. It's probably why he's fucking social studies. <laughs> yep. Probably. <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed watching it again. I'm going to watch it yeah, again it's and always, again and again. It's always a good one to watch. I mean, like we were saying with Star Wars, it's 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 in that in that group of movies that you can watch over and over and it never gets old. It doesn't. 
And, you know, it's been one, like, you know, I, I don't randomly flip through the channel on the weekend anymore. Yeah. But, but if I wore it and I was like, Big Lebowski was on TV. Yeah. Like, you're gonna, you're I would gonna still at least, watch it. Yeah, you're going to at least watch part of it. You know, you're going to have it on for, I'm you know, until, until you have something to, else that you have to do. But, yeah, it's one of those movies that if right. it's on, you're going to watch it. When you're flipping through, if you see it I on there. I want to see what happens when we find the stranger in the Alps. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you, you have to you have to see what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. <laughs> Greatest TV dub in the history of TV dubs. Yep. It's right up there with Yippie K and Melon Farmer. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. Kudos to that. I mean, Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, Steve Buscemi, Julianne Moore, John Totoro, Philip Seymour Hoffman, all of them. Terrific. I mean, uh, you know, even uh, the dude's laying on the board. Yeah. It's a nice little skit. Yep. His little one man <laughs> play that they go to right before going and visiting little Larry Sellers. Which, you know, I guess that's kind of the last thing. Like, you know, the, dude, the dude's still true to that guy. That's just who the yeah. dude is. Yeah. He says, I will be there. In the middle of all this going yeah, on, he still he, he goes. There. He could have he he had plenty of other places that were probably more important for him to be, but not to the dude. The dude said he would be there, and he was there. I am still kind of the the poster for the movie. It still kind of upsets me that the names are switched. Yeah, is the poster? It has it has Jeff Bridges and John Goodman. John Goodman standing on there, you know, as the dude and Walter. But above Jeff Bridges' name, it says John Goodman. Above John Goodman, it says Jeff Bridges. Yep. It's always weird when movies do that. I, I don't get that. Why do movies do that? Because if you don't know who these people are, you're going to look at the poster and you're going to think that Jeff Bridges is John Goodman and John Goodman is Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Because their names are above the wrong people. But yeah, so that that's always bugged me about the poster. I mean, he's a great poster otherwise. No, it really is. I mean, it's you know, both the characters are big and larger. They have the bowling alley. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it and it, they're both very representative of themselves. Uh, yeah, you know? <laughs> it shows the basic premise of the movie. You know that it's about these these guys that you know love bowling and a bunch of stuff happens. Yeah, they, they also obviously they're not on the poster. I think it lists Steve Buscemi, Julian Moore, and John Turturro as well. So it gives you you know the basic outline of all of it. Very easy to go strictly with like the floating heads. It's kind of there, but they do a little bit more with it to give you the idea of what's happening. Yeah, until recently, I had the uh, special edition DVD that actually came in a little bowling mm-hmm. ball. Yes, it was I've nice. had the that. DVD I case was well. uh, you know, it was a little bowling ball that you could open up, and the discs were in it. But it's funny about like if all the I have a lot of the editions of it, but I always go back to that first one. Yeah. I always always like put in. Yep, that's the one that yeah that the back in the release. day you and I used to watch all the time. It was that. That that original release. Yep. So that's uh, I guess that's, that's Big Lebowski. Big Lebowski. Love it. Yep. I love it. I, Fantastic I, I movie. Never, yes. So well done. So funny. And, and I almost the, always have to watch it by myself now because my wife won't watch it. This is how it is. Yeah. And it's the movie that <laughs> that more or less defined Jeff Bridges' uh, career. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, he's went on to win an Oscar after it. And mm-hmm. Do a few other movies as kind of that grizzled old man, you know. Yeah, but he always <laughs> is very different than the he dude. always finds a way to um, throw a little bit of the dude into into most of his performances. 
Yes, he does. But, yeah, but, uh, it's great. And for me, it probably won't be another Coen's movie that I'll place above it. Because others are close, especially Fargo and Miller's Crossing are very much up there. Yeah, and I mean, and, and I, I love, I love a brother where art thou. But it's still not as high up as as uh, Big Lebowski for me. The the other one just and like, Raising Arizona. I mean, Raising Arizona is awesome that, too. But it's still Big Lebowski is higher up in uh, my in my rating. The other one that's very similar to it, and it's not as good as it, but it's almost even more off the wall in some ways. Is Burn After Reading? Okay. <laughs> See, I ha- I haven't seen that one yet, but yeah, and another just crazy kind of comedy. And there's, there's, it's similar in a way to that. Okay. Yeah. But if you haven't, you know, anyone's out there, if you've seen Big Lebowski, you want to watch other Coen Brothers movies, go ahead. It's yeah. worth it. I mean, Coen Brothers, they're... We'll they're, cover more. They can make flat-out comedies. They can make dramas. They can... I mean, yes. a lot of times, they'll sort of alternate between a comedy and a drama. There's always some dark comedy yeah. in their movies. Some more than others. But yeah. uh, like, even though Country for Old Men, which is probably one of the most serious movies, has a few scenes where you're just kind of chuckling at aspects of it. Anyway, no, or if you've never seen a Coen Brothers movie and you've made it through this entire podcast of us talking about the Big Lebowski, yeah, if you have, yeah, if, especially if you have not seen the Big Lebowski, you should it. you should check it out. You should watch the Big Lebowski. It is totally worth the two hours that you're going to be sitting down watching it. It's it will it is not a waste of your time at all, but uh, but yeah. So that's that's the, the big Lebowski. Uh, join us next time. We're we're gonna be doing. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna stick with the comedy for a little bit, um, for at least the next uh, couple episodes. But next one we are gonna be doing uh, Shaun of the Dead, that uh, Simon yes. Pegg, Edgar Wright movie. Well, Edgar Wright directed Simon Pegg, and Edgar Wright wrote it. But uh, was starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. So, uh, yeah. Uh, kind of uh, everyone's introduction to kind of that crew. Yeah. Well, America's introduction to that crew. Yes. I sh- that's probably the better way of saying it. Yeah. So, yeah. Join us. Okay. Join us for Shaun of the Dead next time. So uh, we'll see you then. Right.